0: This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Welcome back to all of our participants here. Annie Mitchell here for our fifth Sunday of our Lenten journey in year C, according to the new order of the lectionary for the new mass.
1: Yes, absolutely. And we're almost there, Father.
0: Yeah, We're almost a holy week. We're getting there. The longer my beard gets, you know, the closer we are to the. Are you
1: in like no shave Lent?
0: No, I decided to honor my dad. I'm not sure it honors him very much, but I decided (laughs) one year to grow my beard.
1: Cool.
0: So we'll see where it ends up at the end of the year. But awesome. All right.
1: Well, that'll be a fun one to watch as we uh, as we we continue through Lent and the rest of the year. Well, let's look at the readings for the fifth Sunday of Lent. Get out your notebooks and your Bibles, and here are the readings. The first reading is from Isaiah chapter 43, verses 16 through 21. Our responsorial psalm this weekend is Psalm 126. The gospel is from the gospel of John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, and our epistle is St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 3, verses 8 to 14. So grab your Bibles and move over to the book of Isaiah.
0: Here we go.
1: Chapter 43. It says this. Thus says the Lord, who opens a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters, Who leads out chariots and horsemen, a powerful army, till they lie prostrate together, never to rise, snuffed out and quenched like a wick? Remember not the events of the past, the things of long ago, consider not. See, I am doing something new. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? In the desert, I make a way, in the wasteland, rivers, wild beasts honor me jackals and ostriches for i put water in the desert and rivers in the wasteland for my chosen people to drink the people whom i formed for myself that they might announce
0: my praise here we go book of isaiah
1: yeah book of isaiah Dr. so let's uh let's get the context first here cuz there you know there's this reference to the Exodus, it seems, at, at the beginning of this reading. So, remind us when Isaiah is writing, and why would he reference the Exodus?
0: So, okay. Remember what a pro- first of all, before I answer that question, remember what a prophet is. Prophet is not one who foretells the future necessarily; it is one who speaks the truth about God, or we should say, speaks God's truth. Right. Of course, God's truth is neither yesterday today or tomorrow it is always now so oftentimes the prophet speaks things which will occur in the future they very much also tell truth about what has taken place in the past Mm -hmm. and what is today present so just remember that we don't look at the prophet as a kind of soothsayer or fortune teller or whatever the case may be right he's telling the truth about 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 the reality that is that is before the Lord. Yeah. And before his people, that's number one. The, no, this, the second thing is always, of course, with the prophets and with many of the books of the Bible is to go back to the first chapter, first verse, verse. I hope our Sunday gospel reflection ICC friends have gotten used to this. Now you knew where I was going to go. Mm-hmm. So there it is. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, uh, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of uzziah jotham ahaz and hezekiah well why judah well first of all what's important about this he's particularly preaching to the southern tribe right remember this is after the schism that took place between the northern ten tribes and judah in the south and benjamin and and so he's a prophet that preaches to judah okay during these times of the kings uzziah jotham ahaz and hezekiah so i'm going to encourage all of our participants you really want to contextualize what we're looking at here, you're going to want to go back to Second Kings and read through those chapters where those kings are, uh, the, the story of those kings is, is recounted for us, okay? And then, but of course, here in Isaiah, we get this interesting truth about the prophets is that they not only tell the truth about what's going on, on their own day, oftentimes they do tell the For us, what is a future reality, right? Right. And this exactly happens in the in the life of the prophet Isaiah, beginning with chapter 40, which is not uncommon among the prophets. They'll warn that if you continue like this, it's not going to end well for you. Right. Then they'll say, However, the Lord is merciful. And there will be a day when the Lord reveals that mercy, and when when you are called to a time of restoration. Between now and then, well, you're you only have to blame yourselves for your sins, for the Lord is faithful, even though you're not. And this is what happens in the famous chapter forty of Isaiah, and that we all know, right? Isaiah chapter forty: "Comfort, comfort my people," says the Lord. "Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry, and her, and, and, and cry to her, for her warfare is ended; that her iniquity is pardoned; that she has received in the Lord's hand double for all her sins." A voice cries. In the wilderness prepare a way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Quoted, of course, by John, John the Baptist at the Jordan River, right? Uh-huh. So this passage has always been taken biblically from a Christian standpoint as as a, a prophecy of not only the return of the exiles from Babylon, but the ultimate return of the Lord. So I'm just gonna paint, I'm gonna go really big picture for you, Annie, and for all of our participants. Ready? Watch this. Uh-huh. 600 years before the coming of Christ, the Babylonians march on Jerusalem, lay siege to the walls, burn the city, burn the temple, take the people of God off to to Babylon, right? Uh 70 years later, after the land uh, enjoys its Sabbaths, we talked about that in the book of Jeremiah and so forth and why the Babylonian exile took place. The people of God returned. But here's the fundamental thing for all of us to know and to always keep in our mind. The problem of the Babylonian exile was not resolved when the people of God returned. They did build the temple, but it was a sad representation of the glory of David's, of Solomon's temple, right? They did return, but the, but the Babylonian people, eventually, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, keep them under control. So they're not given freedom, right? In fact, it says this very clearly, I'm gonna turn my Bible with you to Ezra and Nehemiah and and those are the those are two guys they return so you get the story of the of the return of the Babylonian captives to the holy land and in the book of Nehemiah he says in chapter chapter 9 verse 36 behold we are slaves this day In the land thou gavest to our fathers to enjoy its fruits and its good gifts, behold, we are slaves. I point this out to you because I cannot stress enough how the people of God realized that things weren't right. They returned to their own homes. The temple gets rebuilt. But the ultimate problem is that in the book of Ezekiel, we find out that at the time of the Babylonian exile, when the temple is burned, the the glory cloud of God, the, the physical presence of god's of god's the physical uh, revelation of god's presence among his people the glory cloud leaves the temple mounts on the mount of olives the eastern hill of jerusalem and then departs
1: right
0: never more to return the ark of the covenant which was in the holy of holies was taken by the prophet jeremiah up on mount horeb mount sinai in hidden and never found right. so when the when the temple's re- restored the holy of holies when the high priest went in was empty it's black well, nothing man. was in there yeah. so the people are looking forward to the day when the king would return the messiah the anointed one the king is the same idea okay when the messiah would return and when the messiah returned then god's kingship would return The glory cloud of god would return right the glory of god would come to the temple and the Ark of the Covenant would be restored. Of course, this is all the revelation that John has in his book of Revelation. He sees the, this, this truth, this reality. Of course, for us as Christians, we realize this is all restored in the coming of Christ, who is the glory of God, told to us in the Gospel of John. Okay, that's the big picture, right? right. Well, here we are in Isaiah chapter 43, three chapters after chapter 40. So he's still in the same idea. And you get the same, basically chapter 40 and chapter 43, the same, the same story going on right? Mm-hmm. Hey, you people who find yourself in exile because of your sins, God has been faithful to you and he has come to forgive your sins. He's going to open up a pathway to your salvation, a restoration for you. Now, Annie, I don't think I have to tell you why we're reading this text right now, right? Because right. who's standing in our church on Sunday?
1: The catechumen.
0: The catechumen, right? Who finds themselves away from the Lord, who finds himself exiled from the house of God, and wants restoration. And so the church proclaims Isaiah saying, hey, it's here for you. It happened, the coming of Christ, and it's going to happen sacramentally, mystically. And by the way, that doesn't mean, well, kind of symbolically, not really. No, no, it means it's really gonna happen in a couple of weeks for you. The desert path is going to open and your former life is going to put put behind you. You are going to be cleansed of your sin by the washing of water and you're going to enter back in and the Lord is going to feed you again. Now, with that understanding, realize this is exactly how the church fathers read these texts. They were all prophecies of the coming of Christ and then ultimately the revelation of the church. Yeah? Yeah. So, So look at this in Isaiah chapter 43 verse 16 first there's there's kind of three movements thus says the lord and then isaiah says who this lord is right mm-hmm. he's the man i mean he's the one that leads <laughs> out armies and then just boom lays boom, them away so look out
1: done you're yeah. not
0: messing with a half you know half power and this, this is the guy okay yeah and then and then okay now you know who he is remember not what happened before okay the, jerusalem burned i know. The people of God were in slavery in Egypt. We know. Yeah? These things happened a long time ago. But something new is going to happen. And here I refer to you to, the, to uh, what Daniel was saying in that quotation I shared with you guys last week. Right? Mm-hmm. This is this is what he says. And the prophets look forward to the coming of the Messiah. Right here. It's worth reading again. Daniel says... Speaking of how God is going to bring about something new when the Messiah comes, he says, the prophets understood that that newness was not a departure from the past, but a restoration. Okay, so this is what he says, at the time of the captivity, the Babylonian exile, when Isaiah's is writing, or just be- Isaiah's is writing just before that, the prophets announced to the people of Israel that in the future, God would perform for their benefit deeds analogous to and even greater than those he had performed in the past. So this is what the, what the people of God are looking forward to, and look at these words. In the desert, I make a way in the wasteland. Rivers, yeah. Uh-huh. I will put water in the desert. Well, what was he talking about? He's talking to people in the Babylonian exile, saying that there's going to be water for you in the desert, so that as you cross, you're going to make it. What does that remind you of, Annie?
1: The crossing from. The Exodus.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Analogous to as, as Daniel says, right? Analogous right. to, what God, he's going to do it again, but a new way, right? Yeah. Exactly. But but that's not all because this, this story isn't only about the restoration of God's people from Babylon. It's also about the life of Christ. It's also about the church in which the Lord is going to provide these refreshing waters so that we might go across the desert of this life to paradise restored right and mm-hmm. then he's going, of course, to give the chosen people to drink like he did during the during the exile or during the, the exodus. And so that they might announce his praise listen to what and I could i'm gonna I, i'm just gonna touch on a couple of different fathers listen to what St procopius of Gaza says. How has he led chariots and horses? It is clear that Pharaoh pursued Israel by his own decision, for God had already spoken in this way to him. I have raised you up to show you my, my power in you, and so that my name might be made known throughout the earth. Thus, in a marvelous way, God saves those who are fleeing from the desire of earthly things as they are pursued by the devil. God shows him the wild waves of the present life are passable. And there's a wild beast Isaiah is talking about are not just lions and jackals. Right. That he's going to tame. It's the passions he's going to tame. The challenges, the difficulties of this world he's going to tame, and they will eat the heavenly bread and drink the water from the rock. Saint Irenaeus says the same thing. God would would make a new covenant with his people, not such as that which he made with our ancestors at Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, and would give to the people a new heart, a new spirit. And again, it is written, "And do not remember the things of old. Behold, I make things new." This plainly announces the liberty that distinguishes the new covenant. So again. Irenaeus and the other fathers are hearing Isaiah and they're hearing the prophecy not only of the restoration of the Babylonian exile but more importantly of the church St Cyprian but as often as water is named alone in the holy scriptures baptism is referred to really important St Cyprian says when you're reading the scriptures and you and you and you hear water think baptism yeah yeah because water is for that purpose and just as the people of God were cleansed through the crossing of the Red Sea and Pharaoh and the Egyptians died, the old man slavery died in those waters, just as the people of God crossed the Jordan River after 40 years in the desert, and the the, the people who doubted, who refused to enter in the promised land, died out in the desert, so in your life, this is going to happen, and having crossed the 40 days of the fast, we now will enter through the waters of baptism into the holy church, which is paradise restored.
1: Wow, okay, I just have one more question kind of about this whole thing with remember not the events of the past i mean you gave a great explanation there about you know making things new and whatnot but doesn't god say elsewhere that we're supposed to remember the things of the past so like what is there a contradiction here what's going on
0: i I think in particular speaking of the what what is on the people's mind right what sure what is on your mind seriously yeah I mean, look, I just went to the doctor. I had to go to the cardiologist today. Why? Because I'm Italian. So you know, <laughs> high blood pressure. And, you know, I don't keep myself calm, you know. So what am I focused on? What are we always focused on? Do we have enough money? Do we? Oh, my, you know, all this, my dad passed away what's going to happen all the cares of this world right what are the people in the uh, in, in babylon thinking of the last memory they had was of the temple burning yeah yeah and i think really that's that, that that's what the prophet is saying look look let's put those things it's time to put all of of that behind you because today is a new day and i think that interpretation is confirmed at least in the church's use of this text today liturgically yeah. In presenting here also the story of the woman caught in adultery.
1: Yeah. Well, before we get to that, let's transition but I mean a beautiful thing that that we see in the responsorial psalm that Well, I think kind of it fits with what you were just saying, like, let's not dwell on the the bad past, but let's remember the good things that the Lord has done for us to look forward with hope.
0: The Lord has done great things for us. We are filled with joy. Now read this and you're singing this in church. The whole idea is this understanding that, you know what? The people that have come before us as part of our family of faith, they've gone through this too. And so, and so we can sing with them. When the Lord brought back the captives of Sion, as the, those that were in Babylon, we were like men dreaming. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongues with rejoicing. You know who that was? That's Ezra and Nehemiah yeah. and all these guys go read their stories. Here's a read Ezra and Nehemiah before Sunday. It'll do you good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for us. Why? Well, they're in Babylon. <laughs> And lo and behold, what happens? Look at this. In Ezra chapter one, I'm going to go back there right now. Ezra comes right after second Chronicles. Ezra chapter one. All of a sudden the Persians come to power. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the people of God find themselves in exile, but under a new foreign power, the Persians and a new king, King Cyrus, who's a full blown pagan. The Persians are pagans. The guy comes to the throne. Well, I'm going to actually, you know, what I'm going to do, I'm going to turn my Bible one page because the last chapter of second Chronicles and the first chapter of Ezra repeats itself.
1: Hmm.
0: So look at this. Verse 22 of, of second Chronicles, uh, uh, second Chronicles 36, 22. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be that that it might be accomplished. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia. So he made a proclamation to all his kingdom and also put on it. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia. Thus, the the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. What? What? Cyrus just proclaimed Yahweh to be Lord? Something's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And what's he going to do now? He sends God's people back to the Holy Land with money, with gold in their hands so as to rebuild the temple. I mean, nobody heard of such a thing. So they're 126 with these people. The Lord has done great things for us. Look at this. We were in slavery. Now look at us. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad indeed. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the torrents of the Southern desert. Those that sow in, in tears, shall reap rejoicing although they go forth weeping carrying their the seed to be sown they shall come back rejoicing carrying their sheaves here we come from babylon and we're ready we're ready to now for everything god has planned for us and yet it's gonna wait for 500 years and then let me tell you the guys being sent down to the jordan river to john are proof of this expectation are you the prophet who's to come are you the the messiah are you the king they were waiting for this moment when isaiah's prophecy would be truly fulfilled and they saw what john was doing cleansing people by water giving them a a chance for repentance as the beginning of this restoration of course this is all going to come to fruition in the life of christ
1: Absolutely. All right. Let's move on to the gospel of John, our gospel for this weekend in chapter eight. And we will be starting at verse one, going through 11. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, but early in the morning, he arrived again in the temple area and all the people started coming to him. He sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and made her stand in the middle. They said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So, what do you say? They said this to test him so that they could have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and began to write on the ground with his finger. But when they continued asking him, he straightened up and said to them, let the one among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. And in response, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders. So he was left alone with the woman before him. Then Jesus straightened up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She replied, no one, sir. Then Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. Another rather famous story that we're getting in in the gospel this weekend, a beautiful story, a beautiful encounter that Jesus has here. But what's been going on in the gospel of John leading up to this event that the Pharisees and scribes are, you know, grabbing a woman to put in front of Jesus like this?
0: Well, first of all, Annie, we go back. We've been we've been we're we're going to John now. We didn't Luke for how many. Right. Yeah. For a
1: long time. Yeah.
0: But the same story is going on in the gospel of John. And I'm just going to flip back in my Bible here to chapter to chapter five verse 18 chapter 5 verse 18 this this was why the jews sought all the more to kill him Hmm. because they not only broke the sabbath but also called god his father made himself equal to god all right so we have to understand that not all things on their face are telling us the whole story right when the jews ask questions of jesus know that they're trying to kill him Right. Okay, and they've been doing so since the very beginning of this gospel really from the wedding at cana the whole gospel changes tone which mm. is very early right you're talking about yeah. chapter two yeah. changes tone and they're they're setting traps for him nicodemus comes in the night right and nicodemus shows up again here mm-hmm. just before this passage which is why i always say I text without context no text at all first of all what's the context first of all yes they're trying to kill him okay second of all he's at the feast of tabernacles if you look at chapter seven verse one. Now, I, I don't have time to get into the Feast of Tabernacles with you in our study right now. Maybe we'll have time to do that later. But Feast of Tabernacles is all about God's dwelling with his people, the Feast of Booths. We've talked about that before regarding the transfiguration, transfiguration. on Mount table, yeah. right? Damn. About God dwelling with his people during the time of exodus, protecting them in the midst of the trials and, and going back to to, to what we were saying earlier about the trials of this world right all the passions, all the challenges of the wild beasts in the desert right and God protects them in the desert uh, so here they're they're in the feast of, of, of tabernacles and all of the thing all of the. Uh, the, the ceremonial aspects of this feast. Jesus kind of grabs for himself. I am the light of the world. I am the the, the living water. All of these, they poured water on the altar till it flowed out the doors of the temple. They lit big candle, huge torches in the court of the women, right exactly where this took place so that all of Jerusalem was lit up for the eight days of the feast. There was no darkness. Uh, there's, There's much to say about this, but this passage in particular, its specific context begins for us in chapter seven, verse 45. And and what happens just before that is that the Jews send officers out to arrest Jesus because he's in, he's in Jerusalem. Now this is not him being Jerusalem for the passion. It's before that mm-hmm. the next time he comes, of course, is going to be when he, when they, when right. they go to arrest him. Okay. So here he is verse 45. Now I'm going to go back up for a second to verse 37. Okay. On the last day of the feast, the great day. So now we're still in the context of the Feast of Tabernacles, This passage takes place within that context. Okay. Okay. So, verse 40. No, I'm sorry, verse 45. The officers then went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees, who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No man ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Are you led astray also? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd who does not know the law are accursed now let me ask you annie do any of the pharisees believe in him
1: one does who nicodemus
0: oh very nice this ties the whole gospel together hold your bible right there come back to me with john to john chapter three remember at the beginning of the gospel of john chapter three nicodemus comes to jesus by night which is not good in the gospel Mm -hmm. but he remains with jesus right He Mm -hmm. comes to Jesus, who is the light in the gospel of John, right? The light shines in darkness. The darkness could not comprehend it. Jesus is the light in the gospel of John. Nicodemus stays there. Coming to him in darkness, he stays there in the presence of the light. And look look at what this passage says in verse 16, chapter 3, verse 16. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but may have eternal life. For God sent the son into the world, not to condemn the world, but the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the son of God. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world. And men loved darkness Nicodemus rather than light because their deeds were evil for everyone who does, does evil hates the light and does not come to the light. Oh, wait a minute. But Nicodemus did come to the light.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Lest his deeds should be up. But he who does what is true comes to the light, that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been wrought in God. Mm-hmm. And Nicodemus, for the rest, from this point on remains silent in the gospel. And he appears here in this passage when the Pharisees said, have any of the Pharisees believed in him? Notice the next person to speak. Nicodemus, verse one, chapter seven, verse 50. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and was, a, was one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? Hmm. And then he replied, are, are you from Galilee to search and you will see that no prophet will arise from Galilee? They went each to their own house. But Jesus in the morning came again to the temple and all the people to him. And he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees who, get, who judge a man without giving him trial brought to Jesus a woman who they had not tried. And now Jesus is going to hold a trial for them. And this is the setting of the gospel of John chapter eight. Now, we have to go back and ask ourselves, how was this woman supposed to be tried? And the answer is found for us in Numbers chapter five. We gotta go all the way back to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter five, verse 16 and following. And this is, is if a woman is suspected of adultery, Mm this is what they're supposed to do. Numbers chapter five, verse 16. And the priest shall bring her near and set her before the Lord. And the priest shall take holy water in an earthen vessel and take some of the dust that is on the floor of the tabernacle. Pay attention to that because we're about to encounter the dust on the floor of the, of of the, of the tabernacle, of the temple, aren't we? Hmm. And put it into the water. And the priest shall set the woman before the Lord and then bind the hair of the woman's head and place in her hands the cereal offering and the remembrance, which is the cereal offering of jealousy. And in, and in his hands, the priest shall have the water of bitterness that brings the curse. Then the priest shall make her take an oath and so forth. Okay. And he, and he mixes this, this dust from the floor of the temple with the holy water. Okay. Now, what's going on in the temple in Jerusalem over these eight days? Every day, they're imploring the holy water of the spring of Gihon. On top of this, there's water flowing all over the place of the temple. Yes? Yeah. And there's dust on the floor. And he mixes these two things together, makes her drink it. And if she drinks it and she falls ill, God judged her and she's guilty. And she just literally dies. Her guts fall out in the midst of the whole thing. This is what happened. and this trial was not invented in the book of numbers it goes back to the book of exodus do you remember the time of the of the golden calf mm-hmm. and the sin of the golden calf and what the sin of the golden calf was all about it was a fertility cult that was known among the egyptians it was a cult of the firstborn in which the firstborn of egypt would engage in help me Annie. you're on the radio all the time you know unsavory acts unsavory acts that's right let's leave it at that okay uh-huh. and it was a, a thing that would take place okay fine well get, lo and behold this exactly what happens in exodus and that is the firstborn the leaders of god's people set up the golden calf and as it says they went out to play biblical plane okay i think we've made our point very clear yeah moses comes down from the mountain and notice what happens. Turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter thirty-two. Exodus chapter thirty-two, and then we're going to come back very quickly to John. I promise. Exodus chapter thirty-two, verse twenty. Well, this is this is uh, you know the greatest. This is the this is Joshua's excuse of what happened. Yeah, verse twenty. Mm-hmm. And Joshua took the calf which they had made. oh oh, i'm sorry this is after they had done it right and moses comes Mm -hmm. down okay and joshua took the calf that they had made and he burnt it with fire and ground it to a powder and scattered it upon the water and made the people of israel drink it and moses said to aaron what did this people do that you have brought a great sin upon them and aaron said let not the anger of my lord burn hot you know the people that they are some evil for they said to me make gods and we and so forth and Boom, this calf came out of the fire. Okay. And uh, and, and verse 25. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose for Aaron and Aaron had let them break loose to their shame among the enemies, then Moses stood at the gate of the camp and said, Who's on my side? The Levites joined him. And at verse 30, on the morrow, Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go to the Lord, and perhaps I can make atonement, and so forth. And, and, and and the story goes on. Basically what happens is all the people that drink the water fall ill and the Levites go and slay them all. You can go read more of it in, in, in chapter 32 of of Exodus. But now we come to the gospel of John. We find a very similar situation, don't we? Yeah. We have people that, that, that refuses to give Jesus a, a reasonable trial nicodemus stands up and makes it explicit for us thank you nicodemus telling us what's going on they're really Mm -hmm. trying to kill him right but they commit a sin by doing so because they refuse to judge this woman why because if they had judged her and found her guilty and put her to death they would have broken roman law Mm -hmm. so they knew they couldn't do it so they come to jesus and ask what they're supposed to do so as to try to catch him Because if he says, put her to death, try her and put her to death, he will be guilty to the Romans and be put to death. But soldiers are probably
1: sitting around this whole time, right? They're probably watching too. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah,
0: Yeah. Right. And if he says, turn her over to the Romans, he will prove himself to be a false prophet and they'll have caught him in the thing. Right. So now Jesus says what he says and he leans down in the midst of this feast, in which water, the holy water of Gihon is being poured out everywhere. Yeah. And I know so many people have made um, made a big deal about, oh, he wrote their sins in the dirt, in front of that. Right. I think he just went down and pointed, like, moved the, the dust around, because that's all it would have taken. Looked uh-huh. these guys in the eye and said, oh, you who have yoked yourselves to a foreign nation and have become adulterers by yoking yourself to Rome and have abandoned your faith in the true God who is our husband, as the prophets tell us, you are the adulterers and you would bring this woman for me to condemn her? Now, lest you go, I think I go too far, let me read you something of an extensive quote from St. Ephraim the Syrian, And then we can apply this to our catechumens and to all of us who are preparing for the passion of Christ. Great. St. Ephraim says this in his homilies on the Lord. Thou had mercy on those whose lives had been made food for dead idols. For the one calf which they made in the desert pastured on their lives as on grass in the desert. For that idolatry which they had stolen and brought out in their hearts from Egypt when it was made manifest slew openly those in whom thou had mercy on those whose lives had been made food for dead idols for the one calf which they made in the desert pastured on their lives as on grass in the desert for the idolatry which they had stolen and brought out in their hearts from egypt when it was made manifest slew openly those in whom it was dwelling secretly for it was like fire concealed in wood which when it is gendered from within burns it For Moses ground to powder the calf and caused them to drink it in the water of ordeal, that by drinking of the calf, all those who were living for its worship might die. For the sons of Levi ran upon them, those who ran to to help Moses, and girded on their swords. The sons of Levi did not know whom they should slay, because those that worshipped were mingled with those that worshipped not. But he for whom it was easy to distinguish, distinguish those who were defiled from those who were not defiled so that the innocent might give thanks that their innocence had not passed unseen by the just one. And the guilty might be convicted that their offense had not escaped the eye of the judge. But the sons of Levi were the open avengers. Accordingly, Moses set a mark on the offenders that it might be easy for the avengers to avenge for the, for the drink of the calf entered those in whom the love of the calf was dwelling and displayed in them a manifest sign that the drawn sword might rush upon them the congregation therefore which had committed fornication in the worship of the calf and here's the key about these guys in john 8 joking themselves to rome while they're trying to turn in they're trying to turn in their savior and their god to whom they themselves should be committed the congregation, therefore, they committed fornication in the worship of the calf. He caused a drink of the water of ordeal that the mark of the adulteresses might appear in it. From hence was derived the law about women in Numbers chapter 5, that they should drink the water of ordeal, that by the mark that came on the adulteresses, the congregation might be reminded. So this is the purpose of the law. Yeah. So that in seeing their women judged who were guilty, They might be reminded of their own fornication that was in the worship of the golden calf and be on guard against a fear against another fornication. And remember the former fornication with penitence of soul, that when they were judging their women, if they played the harlot against them, they might condemn themselves who played the harlot against their God. So in the very act of judging the ones who had committed adultery or have been suspected of it, they themselves would be reminded of their own sins because in every sin, we commit adultery against the one who we should be faithful to when we yoke ourselves to to the devil. Wow. And thus Jesus leans down, Annie. Yeah. Moves around the dust of the temple, reminding them of their former adultery and one by one, each one of them walks away. Wow.
1: Well, what does that mean then for Jesus to not condemn, condemn the adulterous woman? I mean, well, remember, it, it, as we bring this to the catechumens, I guess.
0: Whether she was guilty or not, he does say, go and sin no more. I, I, I did yeah. unfortunately hear a bishop recently giving a homily who said that regarding the prodigal son, Oh, the father didn't tell him not to go out at night anymore. He just said to come home and give him everything back. You're kidding me. What? No, Jesus calls us to repentance. Jesus calls us to a newness of life. Jesus calls us to the life of holiness. And he calls this woman also and saying, go and sin no more. No matter how far we have fallen away from God, no matter what our former life has been like and speaking to the cat humans and to everyone gathered in the church and to all those listening and participating in this Bible study today, my dear friends, no matter how far you have found yourself away from God, the Lord stands with hands open. He comes running to us like the father of the prodigal son. He stands there to defend us like Jesus in chapter eight defended the, the, the woman caught in adultery and gives us the possibility of the newness of life. if. We accept his forgiveness, if we accept his forgiveness, commit ourselves to a life of holiness, to go and sin no more.
1: Which is exactly what the catechumen is doing, right?
0: This is exactly it. And of course, now in the context of the John, uh, John chapter 8, the, Jesus is the source of living water. Jesus is the light of the world. Catechumens, you are invited, all the members of the community now invited to come forward to draw close to our Savior. Yeah, and and then set the former things behind us. Those things are gone now. Our former life is done now. We come to Christ. We come to the Lord. Seek forgiveness and a restoration of our life in Him.
1: This is what Saint Paul says in in the second reading from Philippians chapter three as well. He, I mean, he, he talks does. about how forgetting, talking about forgetting what lies behind, but straining toward what lies ahead. This That's is right. what he's referring to.
0: I think we can pretty much read this through. I have one quotation to share with you from St. John Chrysostom, and then I think we've done our study for today, Annie.
1: Great. Okay, let's read Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 to 14. Brothers and sisters, I consider everything as a loss because of the supreme good of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have accepted the loss of all things, and I consider them so much rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having any righteousness of my own based on the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God, depending on faith to know him and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by being conformed to his death. If somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. It is not that I have already taken hold of it or have already attained perfect maturity but I continue my pursuit and hope that I may possess it since I have indeed been taken possession of by Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, I, for my part, do not consider myself to have taken possession. Just one thing, forgetting what lies behind, but straining forward to what lies ahead, I continue my pursuit toward the goal, the prize of God's upward calling, in Christ
0: Jesus. And there I think is like the concluding sentence, right? That St. Paul now encouraging us, the church encouraging us, no matter where we've been, no matter how far we've wandered from from the Lord, no matter we find ourselves in the like the story of the prodigal son or the adulterous woman, no matter the situation, have no fear the Lord is merciful. And listen to St. John Chrysostom. Put the past out of mind. Set your minds to the future. What he has reckoned perfect today, he he ascertains to have been false tomorrow as he reaches forever better and higher goals by this gradual advance never being static but always in progress he is able to teach us that what we supposed in our human way to be perfect still remains in some way imperfect the only perfection is the true righteousness of God to him be glory both now and ever and unto ages of ages amen Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting Institute of